The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's time for the Friday Forum where we bring you the big stories of the week in Israel. Of course, the conflict has passed the one month mark with Iran warning that the scale of suffering caused will inevitably lead to an expansion of the violence. But first, yesterday the Central Criminal Court found Yosef Pushka guilty of the murder of Ashling Murphy. And speaking afterwards, the family said they are relieved that this verdict delivers justice. Uh, joining me now to talk about all of this is Nasa Hurricane, Green Party TD for Dublin Central, Richard Boyd Barrett, People Before Profit TD for Dunleary, and Hugh O'Connell, Deputy Political Editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. Good morning and welcome one and all. Um, Nasa, first of all, your reaction to this verdict? As we followed the, the trial, it seemed inevitable this was going to be the case. It does seem that there was a huge amount of evidence, certainly in the public sphere, it, it, that that seemed to, you know, indicate that it would be a slam dunk case. Um, that's not to say that there wasn't a huge amount of policing time put into it, um, and it's just an incredibly difficult time for for the family. I, I I saw them, I suppose, like everybody in the country after the verdict, and her partner and her mom, and just how incredibly devastating the the, the whole thing was for them. And I, I guess for legislators now, the question is. You know, how can we react to that and, and, and I suppose give that family some measure that, you know, we have. What are you thinking about issue? in terms of reacting to that verdict? It's a mandatory life sentence, but we talked to Frank Rainey earlier this morning and he said as a, you know, someone who reports on the courts for years, he's been advocating that judges give be given the license to establish a tariff, you know, life, but not less than. 15 yeah. years, 20 years, 25 years. I think that's something that we should explore. I see that, you know, working in the UK where they have had extraordinary circumstances where they, they go beyond what we, we have had in the past. I think, um, you know, a lot of the discussion around the, the violence against women, um, particularly from government, has around been around domestic violence. And obviously this, this attack didn't sit in that category. And so, um, you, you know, I think one issue for me would be how can we make public space and, and public places um, more live to the issue of gender and, and the way women in Ireland feel. And we know that there has been a huge increase in violence across the board since kind of the COVID era in violence against women. And and those are the things I think that it throws up and it's the least we can do for that family. But can you legislate safety? I ask myself, you know, because you find anyone, be they male, female, old or young, in an isolated space and you happen to come across uh, someone who's bent on evil um, you you can't police every every space. It's just not possible. No, I agree with that. I think you can design and and you can manage for safety, though. Uh, uh, Richard, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, first of all, just your heart goes out to Ashley Murphy's family. The whole thing is just horrendous. But we do have to think about what lessons we learn and violence against women, uh, obviously, and how you tackle that. Um, and I certainly don't know all the answers, but we it, it has to be the top of our agenda. And I think, I mean, certainly one aspect of it is how does, even though there's been huge strides forward in terms of, you know, attitudes to women and gender equality and all the rest of it, there also is this sort of toxic misogyny is still out there uh, and it's being promoted by certain people. And I think we have to challenge that on social media and so on. Uh, infecting the minds of young people uh, and not so young people for that matter and uh, I I also I mean at least part of it is sex education uh, proper sex education 
I personally believe the the day when we have segregated uh, schools in terms of gender should just be over. I mean, part of it, I'm not saying it's the only solution, but the idea that boys and girls are educated separately just to me obviously militates against kind of breaking down that uh, culture you mean of misogyny. You laddish behaviour is less likely to be that laddish when it's uh, mitigated and, and, you know, diluted somewhat by the presence of girls of their own age. I, I think so. That That would be my view. I mean, I'm not saying it's all the answer, but I think part of it and obviously, you know, to seriously think about sex education and education around issues of gender, uh, you know, and I mean, we've argued that we have to have objective sex education. I I don't really see, and this, you know, I know schools are different and so on, but I don't really see how when one religious denomination controls much of our schools and the sex education they receive, that can be helpful in terms of trying to address some of these issues. So there's a lot of different pieces to this. Um, and then there's the, the, the fact that much of uh, violence against women still is, even in this particular horrible case, it seems to be sort of random and Stranger and danger, if you like, in but, this case. But most of the reports we hear, and I heard yesterday about the number of women who've died, even since Ashley well, Murphy I mean, one of the things I come across, Pat, is, is women who uh, are forced, you know, to leave ho- their homes because of uh, domestic violence and then find difficulty getting refuge space. We've known in Dunleary, for example. And then they're in for a certain period but after a certain period you get evicted from from refuges and I, I actually have cases where I'm dealing with that and there's because there's no housing available uh, people are pushed under pressure to actually go back to the, pl- to the, to the place where the, the domestic violence started yeah. yeah Hugh? Yeah like I, I think Richard and Nasser are right there, there are certain things that, that, the, that the government that, that society can be better at and that we can do more on but in this instance I mean a completely random attack by a person described by the judges as evil um, in, in broad daylight um, you know this was not I mean this was in January 2022 but it was in, in the afternoon before it got dark uh, along a kind of a public yeah. space So she was doing so, everything if you like by absolutely. the book to keep yeah. herself safe absolutely. broad daylight yeah. in a place that's you so know populated that's by other walkers that's what's so and horrific about this case is is the random nature of it the fact that she you know seems to have taken the precautions that women unfortunately have to take in these circumstances and yet evil still lurked um and that it, I think that's why this case resonated with so many people. I mean, I'd forgotten really how much, until I saw some of the news reports again last night, like how much the, the, the country was, was shocked by this. And mm-hmm. we were just coming out of COVID as well, COVID restrictions. And we were kind of opening up and becoming a, you know, a, a more open society again. Yeah. And then this horrific crime. And it's just, look, it, it's, I think what it says to me as well is that, look, it's good to see our law enforcement and our courts working in such an effective way. This man was, was given a fair trial. It was clear to me uh, very early on that he was, he was very guilty, um, but he was given a fair trial. He pleaded not guilty um, and, and he was yeah. given now, due process on, on all of that. Frank Rainey earlier yeah. this morning, he was saying that in the event of him seeking a parole after 12 years, mm-hmm. for instance, that the way he approached the case himself would mitigate against him yeah, perhaps getting... Absolutely. Anything. But it brings us back to that whole question of having a tariff. Mm. And one of the issues is that many of the people involved in a court case now, in 12 years' time, everyone will have moved on, the public memory will have dimmed, mm. and that people, not just him, but anyone who's done a nefarious deed, like the, the visceral response of the public will have been forgotten, even by but the I, parole board... 
and someone someone gets out who should not. But I don't think that. I mean, I think the family their their response will be no less visceral than it is now in twelve years' time. Um, and I think, in fairness, I think there's been some changes around parole yeah. that that get the fa- the families have more of a say, or, or certainly their their views are, are more taken into account when the parole boards are, are making decisions in respect of this. So that's a that's a good thing, I guess. And but I think should that, should the judge have a the right to? Well, I think yeah. I mean, I think that's an issue. I mean, you know, the mandatory life sentence that applies across the board um, does give, I, I guess as well people you know sometimes people seem to take a run at this you know I'll go to a jury trial because who knows maybe the prosecution will screw up the case in some way and I might get off whereas or it might get I might get a manslaughter or I might get a manslaughter yeah whereas there's, there's no real opportunity you know there's, there's no real benefit I think for, for uh, perpetrators to plead guilty in these circumstances they, they might as well spin the, there's no incentive the for them to no plead guilty because yeah. life uh, they might as well throw the dice and that on will it, depend you know? on a parole board uh, years later that's a mandatory tariff Richard? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, but I, I, yeah, obviously we cannot have people let out who continue to be a danger to, to society. And mm. uh, I mean, I do think it, it, one positive development now is that people who are, if you like, uh, connected to victims uh, can have a say on the issue of parole. Uh, and so, and obviously... But there has to be sort of a serious monitoring of this person to stop. I mean, like, because even now, you know, we use the word evil and clearly what he did was totally evil. But then to try and actually understand, yeah. is there any possibility of, I, I, I don't know, It's but that certainly there has to be monitoring but of this I think person. Our thinking might be informed by what happened this week also in North Carolina, where you have yeah. Molly Martins and Tom Martins getting fairly minimal additions to the time served for the killing of Jason Corbett. And um, th- they used the plea bargain system there. And you wouldn't like to think, and it's done here in a kind of an informal way, that someone gets a manslaughter charge, which can bring a very long sentence. You know, it can bring a life sentence if, if necessary. But it gives you the possibility of maybe reducing it. And a plea bargain saves the state huge amounts of money. I, I have to say, I don't think the US is where we should look on no, this, I'm just saying th- that, this issue. Because, you know, someone well, in a hard-pressed for cash uh, DPP's office and they say, well, if we do this, it's going to take six weeks and da-da-da-da. Well, I th- I we think offer a manslaughter and it, we get a guilty plea. It's over in jig time and we save the state money and the family pain. It goes to the very heart of, of what is prison for. Do we believe that incarcerating people is so that they can be you know, made safer and 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 made more um, useful in their in their life outside of prison. Or do we believe that there are so pe- so many pe- there are some people who are just irredeemable and should we should be all protected from them? And I think if you look at the US, they have the highest level of incarceration in the world. Yeah, yeah. And part of that plea system is because they simply can't deal with the level of incarceration. They have privatized priv- prisons. So I think you know Ireland. As, as difficult sometimes as our prison system is, I think we do all accept that, you know, prison is as much for the prisoner as it is for the public. Um, and and if we are saying now that there is a category of people who are ir- irredeemable, I think that's a conversation that we a, have to have in public and um, be very careful about. Yeah. Um, moving on, we have to talk about what's going on in Gaza currently. We've got humanitarian uh, four-hour gaps today offered by uh, the IDF to aid the humanitarian effort. Uh, Richard, uh, a token from the Israelis? I, forced I mean, upon them, perhaps, by Joe Biden. Forced upon, but to be honest, a four-hour pause in a massacre? 
this is just, I, I, I really think we need to kind of readjust our a view of this thing and the way this thing is being presented. A state that is capable of doing what Israel is doing is not a normal state. Okay, we're witnessing a genocidal massacre. And the okay, idea- but on the other hand, Richard, you have to say that a, an outfit like Hamas, which is capable of uh, killing little children, defenseless little children, and uh, 800 Israeli or 1,400 Israelis in one day, knowing what it would do to their own people also has to be questioned. There should be absolutely unequivocal I, I, I don't condemnation any, no, of Hamas. But you see, this, this is the narrative that we've got as if it all began... Now, I, I'm horrified by the deaths of children in, under any circumstances, including on October the 7th. But the narrative that this Israel's actions today are a response to what act, uh, October the 7th is just wrong. I'm sorry. Right? I was in... Now, hang on a second. Uh, that defies logic. That doesn't the reason sense, they went sure. in is because of October 7th. They, you know, there was no tension. They believed Pat, that... Okay, the, that's your view. And I, no, I hear I'm just it. saying... But that view has been repeated the, endlessly. The, the can, Israelis, I, can I hang get on the a counter view? Israel... The, the Israelis were concentrating. They thought there'd be trouble at the settlements. They were ambushed completely by the, the Hamas incursion into Israel on that day. So to say that what happened, the Israeli response was not a response, however inappropriate that response was by the Israelis, I'm not saying it was in any way appropriate or proportionate, but it was a direct response to what happened Pat, on October 7th. I, I, I've been involved in this issue since the very beginning. In fact, it's the reason I got involved in politics, okay? I was in... Palestine in 1987 when the first intifada began. There was no Hamas. Hamas didn't exist. Okay, young people rose up against the occupation in unarmed protests and they were shot and they were beaten. And those young people who are the same age as me have lived an entire life under occupation, denied any uh, future, any rights uh, and have have witnessed in the case of Gaza, what, four, five military onslaughts, a 16-year-long siege where that uh, territory has been reduced to the state of a permanent humanitarian crisis. Before October the 7th, over, since 2018, 6,500 Palestinians have been killed. No justice, no accountability, total impunity, ongoing ethnic cleansing, ongoing seizure of Palestinian land, how does anybody think Hang on a there's second. not going Richard, to be some you are nasty confusing. reaction to that? You are confusing two things. One is that Hamas, Hamas have ruled the Gaza Strip since 2007. They've been blockaded and hampered in many ways, but they have been the writ that ran in Gaza since the Israelis Pat, left. they won an election in 2006 for the entire Palestinian Authority. That election that was observed by Jimmy Carter. Were, at, they, were they not in a at power the sharing... Time, hang on. Were they not in a power sharing arrangement with Fatah who they overthrew in a violent coup in 2007? They won the election. In 2006? They won the election. Yeah, didn't they, weren't they in a power look, sharing I'm arrangement not, with I'm Fatah? I'm not here to support their particular but let, ideology, but, but I'm sorry. No, I know that. But let's let's have some facts, Richard. Like they, they, that is you're a right, fact. They, they won the election. Okay. Is that a fact? Yes. Yeah. But, it, but is it also not a fact that they overthrew Fatah? in 2007, including throwing Fatah people off roofs in Gaza City. The international community refused Isn't it also a fact that there's been no elections in Gaza in 15 years? Isn't that also a fact? That's also a fact. You're absolutely right because the world refused to accept the outcome of an election and at that time 
uh, Hamas made clear they were willing to engage on a temporary basis with the two-state solution, albeit they didn't believe uh, the two-state no, solution was Richard, acceptable. Now, I understand the history of this, and it's like going back to the oppression of Ireland by the British, and therefore this happened and that happened and the other happened. And there's no doubt there's a long history of the oppression of the Palestinian people. However, you did say that... Uh, the, the action of the Israelis was not provoked by the activities of October Benjamin the 7th. Netanyahu. And it has to be. Okay, no, it isn't, right? Benjamin, this government came to power on a promise to get rid of the Palestinians. Okay, Smotrich said there is no... When he came to, into office, he said there is no such thing as the Palestinians. They, made, they clearly indicated their intention to further, further ethnically cleanse the Palestinians. In September, all before October the 7th, Netanyahu went before the UN General Assembly with a map that erased all references to the Palestinians. They publicly declared this stuff, Pat. Right? So I'm not, I'm not saying something that isn't in the public domain, but we chose to ignore it. We chose to ignore the fact that the UN uh, Special Rapporteur in the Middle East, Amnesty, the, uh, Human Rights Watch, all produced reports saying that Israel was committing crimes against humanity in Gaza, on the West Bank. We ignored all of that. We let Israel carry on with impunity. What do you expect is going to happen in that situation? Something bad's going to happen. It's obvious. So some, something bad is the massacre of... Innocent people, people that are... I, I compared it, Richard, if something happened here, electric picnic, and along come a bunch of terrorists from Northern Ireland and they wipe out 200 people at a music festival and a total of 800 people in Ireland. Yeah. These, these, is the, these are the proportionate numbers. What do There's you think... There's not a single person... What do you think would if, happen if here? If that happened, if that happened, if that horrible thing happened, there's not a single sane person in Dublin, for example, who would argue for bombing Belfast. Right. But that's the response. Now, what sort of state thinks it's a legitimate response to a horrible event to bomb an entire population? A regime well, what should, what that is be, fundamentally racist. I want to hear Nasser's uh, view on this. Nasser. I think that we, we have to be really careful here. There is absolutely no defence of the actions of Hamas. But Richard is right insofar as this is a far more complex and longer and bloodier history than, than, than locating it particularly in the October attacks. However, I I mean, there is, while there is no defence of what Hamas did, there is is absolutely no defence in the actions of Israel right now. And the magnitude of the death and destruction that they are bringing upon a civilian population is incomprehensible. By the way, Richard, on this programme, we talked about the the two elements of, uh, you know, the Israeli justification of what they did. And there are two principles they offend against. One is proportionality and the other is distinction the proportionality being that you do something that is proportionate to the injury that was inflicted upon you and secondly that you do distinguish between antagonists and the civilian population and they have not done so we have discussed these uh, on the program i know you have pat but i'm sorry right using words like proportion it's a massacre. What would be? It's a massacre, Richard. What would be? And it's a deliberate massacre. Isn't that what happened on October the seventh as well? A massacre of a different scale, perhaps, but still a massacre. Because the problem is, Israel has created a currency of death and racism okay, Richard, for decades Richard, can against I ask the you Palestinians. And once you establish that as the currency of politics, then. It escalates in that direction. Richard, what, but who's responsible? Richard, what would, what would be a proportionate response by Israel? To October 7th. To end the siege, dismantle apartheid, 
uh, dismantle the settlements. Oh, hang on a second. You're saying Dis- that and, when and an offence... No, you're, you're saying... all crimes to the ICC, to the International Richard, Criminal Court, all Richard, crimes. What you are crimes. suggesting, that the outrage that happened to Israel on October the 7th, that the first thing they do is say, ah, we were wrong all the time, we're going to put down our arms and be walked over sorry, by in, the in people none, who I massacred mean, in, sorry, us. In, in, in That's none not of the that, real world. Did you, did you the, reference the, the, at all, at, at, you know, retrieving the 220 plus hostages taken by Hamas? The, host, the hostages we've already in, got a but you didn't mention that at all. Of course, all you hostages did, should be. You just didn't. I asked you what was have the response. Have you mentioned the response. thousands of Palestinian hostages? Did you mention them or the two point two million <laughs> hostages in Gaza? I'm going to ask did you what a proportionate response. No. Okay. Right. No. So we should. Is it all hostages? All yeah, hostages. Of course, of course all hostages. All, the, be all the Palestinian detainees. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, then why didn't you say that? Well, because I asked you because the that's question. The, that is the reason the hostages have become another cur- currency in all of this, right? And the the uh, the the Gaza authorities have said even a three day uh, a three day ceasefire will lead to the release of the hostages. All of them? No, they've said about sixteen. I think is the proposal for three days. For three days, and what is Israel proposing in terms of oh, the no, Palestinian I'm just, I'm just hostages? Curious, Nothing. Because you're, 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 Nothing. You're speaking to the, the, the Hamas position, the, the Palestinian position, um, and I'm just putting some counter views. Yeah, to you, that's oh, no, that's, I understand uh, that, yeah, right? Okay. But I do not understand why, when Israel has slaughtered ten and a half thousand people, include seventy percent of them women and children, why we think they are legitimate actors who we can talk to and interview, but somehow the people who committed the atrocities on October the seventh are less legitimate, right? I mean, to me, this is a horrible situation. It should never have got here. But the question is, who is ultimately responsible for this horrific, decades-long conflict? And my answer to that is the apartheid state of Israel is responsible, okay? It has created this horrible situation. And unless we recognise that, we are going nowhere fast. Um, it brings us to, to how you roll back the clock. I mean, Richard, you yourself mentioned that uh, many of the Palestinians who are there are either refugees themselves, the older people, or the children or grandchildren of refugees. They say that the lands of Israel are their lands. This is their, where they, they live. They have the right to return, from, Pat. The, no. Under international law, they have the right to return. So, and Israel absolutely will not so, let them ha- uh, so I'm asking you, that right. I mean, that's great. And, you know, the, the principles that you have in international law, which the Israelis use to defend some of their actions, by the way, but when you look to international law, you say then, OK, they have the right to return. What happens to the Israelis? Just important to say, important to say, Israel is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court, so they have sure. never wanted to be held accountable for any of the okay. crimes. Just to say that. Okay, so so what, what do is you the, do what is the answer? with the Israelis? To my mind, to my mind, and I, uh, by the way, I stand with many Jewish anti-Zionists on this view. It was also historically the view of the Palestinian movement is that we have a single state where everybody is equal. Simple. And in any other context, we'd all agree with that. In apartheid South Africa, we all agreed with it. And by the way, there were people advocating for a two-state solution in South Africa, but nobody took it seriously. But there were, right, for separation. Mm. Separation has been a disaster because it institutionalizes uh, racist uh, conflict, effectively, right? What about equality? What about everybody who has a right to live or does live in that land being treated as equal and dismantling the apartheid so that, as was the case for thousands of years, Jew, Christian, Muslim, uh, people of no religion could live together? What about that? Not such a radical idea, really, is it, when you think about it? Instead of institutionalised apartheid and racism. Hugh? I mean, would you accept then that there has to be, like, 
you know, the position of Iran, for example, in wanting to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, the position of Hamas in, in wanting to, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that they would have to resile from those positions, perhaps. Uh, the historic position of the Palestinian movement, no, including, just, but, just answer that question. including Hamas, yeah. is when they talk about but, but Israel, the current position of Hamas, the, but the current position of Hamas is to commit a, a, commit a slaughter on fourteen hundred people, take two hundred and twenty people hostage. Like that is their current I know you position. Just want to keep saying that, right? But, but, Why but don't it you also happens six thousand were killed before that. Why don't I've you mention them? Of, of course, I've, I've watched the Middle East conflict them. for years, Richard. Yeah, Listen, I've observed it for I years. You, okay, I haven't been ju- there, but I've observed it yeah. for years. With all due and, respect, and with all due respect to you, your positions are ones that are absolute and take no cognizance no. of the Israeli position at all. Like, have listen, you ever met the Israeli ambassador? Yeah, I, have you ever yes, engaged with the I've people? engaged with the Israeli ambassador okay, in, the, right. in the Oireachtas Committee, right? Yeah. Uh, previ- the previous yeah. Israeli ambassador. But I lived there for a year, Hugh. Mm. I know what the country's like. Yeah, sure. I lived there, no, no, okay? Enough. You have more expertise right? in this area than me. And I'm I, know what the, I know what it's like, and I'm telling yeah. you, apartheid and racism is institutionalised. Okay. Okay, it is. Now, so. I think the reality of this is Israel doesn't stand alone, unfortunately, and I'm very personally very critical of Ursula von der Leyen and the EU's response to this. I think Ireland actually has been strong in in advocating for a, a you know a response that's based on humanitarianism in in Gaza, um, but also they have the US and Biden. So whether we think that a two state solution or a single state solution is the answer, the reality is that we're not just negotiating with Israel here; we're negotiating with very large geo political powers who mostly come down on the side of Israel at the moment, mm. unfortunately, because um, Richard, I personally don't think that that's particularly uh, fair. I want to go back to the, the notion, because in theory, one man, Can one vote... Can I just say vote. one thing about what Nessa yes, said, because it's very important, right? Very, very important. And it's something I've been trying to highlight long before October the 7th, and I've said it in the doll. Joe Biden, before he became president, said the following words. If Israel did not exist the United States would have to invent it. We would have to station tens of thousands of troops in the US to look after our interests, our interests, right? It is really... No, the US interests oh, in the region. So in the region. In the, in the, in the, in the region. Okay, now, that tells us about the real nature of the relationship between the United States and the state of Israel, right? Because but as would ma- they not simply be friends with Saudi Arabia or Turkey or, you know, they would pick their ally? No, that's the whole point, right? The vast, vast majority of people in the Middle East understand that the establishment of a, a state that was based on the supremacy of one religious group over another was, was a part of a wider agenda of controlling that region. And, mm-hmm. and Joe Biden spelt it out. The British, if you look back to what the British promoters of the Zionist project said, they were very clear. The, the Governor General of Jerusalem in 1936 said, and I quote, we, our intention is to create a loyal little Jewish Ulster in the Middle East. That's what he said, right? Uh, so this is the agenda, and okay. that has actually but divided I, I Jew and Arab to, to and see. Christian in a place where they used to live in peace. Yeah, and to some extent that that does happen in small enclaves where you have um, Jewish people. I mean, in East Jerusalem, you've got people who... Jewish yes. people who are against Zionism, who don't believe um, in the, in the I, Israeli I, I state. Want to, I want to ask you the, a final question. The, the suggestion that rather than this single unitary state you talk about or the two-state solution, that you have a, a single cantonized state, a federal state. In other words, the Gaza Strip might be predominantly uh, Palestinian and, you know, local government Palestinian. You'd have uh, the West Bank, etc., etc., and different cantons it's around the place. It's a recipe for, for endless ethnic cleansing. I mean, one of the interesting things is the, the best opportunity for the two-state solution was at the time of Oslo, right? Now, that was a humiliating deal for the Palestinians, humiliating, where they got 22% of the historic land. But even that was breached immediately. 
Why? Because the logic of, of repartition is everybody grabs more land. That's the logic. And we're now seeing the horrible working out of that logic. Partition has almost always, Pat, historically everywhere, been a disaster. You, yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think the... the the, the whole issue is not helped by the US's position, which is very closely aligned with one side of this. There does need to be some sort of country that steps into this mix or some, some body or institution that steps in as some sort of a, a mediator in this. I mean, I think Ireland's position is interesting. It very much goes against the grain of, of um, the EU, the majority of the EU, the vote in the UN. Um, again, that was something that, that Paul Murphy has suggested, is, uh, your colleague Richard has, has suggested, is now leading to Israel uh, not really cooperating when it comes to getting yeah. 40 Irish passport holders out of Gaza. Yeah. So, you know, Ireland uh, is, a, is a voice, uh, you know, and, and Taoiseach of Radcliffe's comments last week about, about revenge, uh, Israel's approach being revenge. That hasn't gone down well. So, look, I'm not suggesting Ireland could be the peacemaker in all of this, although it has been suggested, I think, by Pater Tabin, the AIN2TD. But certainly this, as I said, the absolutism on both sides is achieving nothing and it will not resolve That's the last words from you. I agree. I have to say that I think Ireland is a very um, has a very interesting position to play in this. We are well respected within the EU. We are known to advocate for Palestine. And I think that we should be expanding all the communication options that we have to, to further that and, and to step in because it does seem that there is a kind of a global silence on, on what is like utter and, and disgraceful um, carnage in, in Gaza. Right. We will leave it there. Uh, I don't know whether we have a latter-day Bertie to come into the frame as we and have if, it. If I might plug, there's a demonstration by the Palestine Solidarity Campaign at one o'clock tomorrow uh, assembling in O'Connell's story. Right. Richard Boyd Barrett, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Uh, People Before Profit for Dun Leary, NASA Hurricane TD, Green Party TD for Dublin Central and Hugh O'Connell, Deputy Political Editor with the Irish Independent and the Sunday Independent. And that's all we've time for with a reminder that our items are uploaded as podcasts, which you can listen to in the News Talk app part by GoLoud. Just search for The Pat Kenny Show. My thanks to the team, Editor Im- the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.